1: is an outrage broadcasting outrage. live outrage.
0: from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo what economy are you talking about talking it's about. time about. for mortgage
1: matters. Mortgage, matters. Mortgage, matters.
0: Mortgage, matters.
1: mortgage
2: matters well hello there everybody it is Saturday it's ten oh five. that must mean it's mortgage matters time that's what it is it's mortgage matters Jason's stuck outside right now so we're gonna go let him in the door and uh, get him on the air once we get things set up, just a minute. I've got control <laughs> of the mic now. I've got control. I think we got it. <laughs> yeah. So Jason's out in the hallway. No, seriously, I think he's locked outside. Is he locked outside? Oh, yeah.
0: okay. Maybe, maybe I better go look All right, yeah,
2: I'll, I'll run this. <laughs> you do that. Okay. Um, yes, as threatened. This is Mortgage Matters, another live show. It's August 31st, last day of the month. Um Thank you for those of you who were tuned into the Jeff Bradley Show and sticking around. Really appreciate your listenership and uh, hopefully you enjoy the show today. Um, Just another reminder of how great San Luis Obispo is, I ran into Jeff's guest Shelly out in the lobby as we were um, racing in here, you know, switching spots, only got a few minutes to do the dance, and uh, Shelly's just a wonderful person. It turns out we know some people in common, Um, so that was nice talking to her wonderful lady um hey Jay, made it in nice i'm here um so we've got an action-packed show for you today we've got a guest joining us um in about 30 minutes we've got david criden joining us from Blakesley and Blakesley. um he is a financial planner and he'll be on the air here live um can ask some questions this, So if that's a topic that interests you, get your questions or comments ready for a little bit later in the show. Um, until then, it's us. Yeah. It's us. Nice. Doing the old school hour. That's right. Um,
3: all right, well. Settled? Sausage and eggs with the family this morning. Went a
2: little long, huh? Running
3: out the door. (laughs) Well, I brought the boy and he didn't eat the sausage and eggs, so, uh. I stopped to get him a croissant on the way. Uh and the, you know, and there you have it. Uh, There's the extra 2 minutes.
2: Wow. So, he needs a special croissant, huh? Yeah, that's right. His fancy taste.
3: So, yeah. I haven't been able to check in on any news tonight or this morning. I mean, have there been
2: any developments? Anything big? Um No, I don't think so. All right. Today's the first—I mean, well, not the first day, but it's opening college football weekend, so that's a development that's happening today. (laughs) Me, (laughs) me.
3: Hey, uh, Dan, you mentioned that David Criden's going to be on the show later. I wanted to give everybody a little bit of a heads up. We got a bio for him on the website, Mm. so you can go check out centralcoastlending.com get a little insight into david that way when he joins us maybe you'll you'll feel more up to snuff there we go i'm sure you already read the bio on Ann. i did i read it yesterday perfect perfect i did my homework so um gosh i it always feels like we have this like brief little bit here to get into some stuff before we have a guest and then we'll be able to come back to some stuff so I'm kind of excited to just want to hop right in and and start Excited to do some stuff, huh? Um, Yeah. Hey, but real quick, how was last week? It was great. It was great. I didn't even listen.
2: Uh, Oh, man. You didn't? You said you were going to.
3: Somebody did tell me, though, that it was a great show and called right away to ask for a copy of it.
2: Oh, nice. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty amazing show.
3: What did you guys talk about?
2: Um, Let's see here. We had a... Well, Jason Van Dyke, as you know, one of our loan officers, was uh, guest guest hosting with me. Um, So he offered a little bit of his his insight. In absence, he's a little bit different than you. The two Jasons are not alike. (laughs) Um, One's definitely a little more subdued. Perhaps it's only because it was his only um, his second time on the radio. So he's whereas you have many more shows under your belt. (laughs) Well, and you know. There's no substitute for the Jason. Not any Jason right, do. Right, right. But it worked well with the new intros. The nitro- oh. Yeah, yeah we didn't breaks. have a problem because it said Dan and Jason would like you to call in, blah, blah, Perfect. blah. Perfect. See, so anytime you guys have a guest host now, that person needs to be Dan or Jason, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're going to work so, on that. Yeah. It's kind of um, like when you get a tattoo of your
3: wife's name and then get a divorce, you have to find, like, another <laughs> Becky. <laughs> or a better tattoo artist it's <laughs> erase it. It's cheaper than getting the tattoo <laughs> erased.
2: Um, and then we were also joined by um, Andrew Moreno from the Slow EVC.
3: That was the part that I heard was particularly
2: great. Oh, yeah. He was, uh, he was a great guest, um, shared with us a little bit about what the EVC does, and, um, yeah, thought it was... Perfect. Thought it was a great show. Had a few calls. Nice. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I
3: missed you last week, so... Um... Oh,
2: by the way, I did wish your beautiful wife a happy birthday, a happy 39th. <laughs> 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 and then I let everyone in on the joke. She'll appreciate <laughs> you for that. I, I threatened that I would wish her a 40th. I I toned down the joke a little bit. The funny thing is is that
3: she really does take the uh, the birthday things kind of hard. Yeah, I, I've I've got that over. I'm the wondering years. if it's coming for me. <laughs> like at some point I'm gonna have sheer panic over like a birthday. But it's never even close to happen. It just doesn't bother me. Uh, frankly, I'm generally feel like having a birthday is far better than the alternative.
4: Um <laughs>
2: sure. Yeah, good point. Yeah, not usually, yeah.
3: Uh generally it means that your dance is over. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, anyway. I don't wrestle with that. <laughs> not one of my afflictions. Hey, we got a uh we got an early bird this year. We got week. an early bird probably chomping at the bit to have a call and find out what's going on. Morning Matt, how you doing? Good
5: morning, guys. I'm I'm doing well. I thought I'd ask you a question about uh, mortgages on mixed-use properties. Okay. Maybe you guys can talk about it and see. It, tell me what the trends are and uh, and how they differ. Uh, of course, the rates differ, but the qualifications, what have you. If you have, for example, two rental, two uh, residential uh, units, and then a couple of a uh, uh, couple of units of commercial uh, in the same project. If you guys would talk about it, I'd appreciate it. And I, I don't uh, I don't have a specific question about it other than general uh, yeah. information that I'd appreciate from you.
3: Thanks. Okay, Matt, thanks for the call.
5: Thank you. Bye.
3: Uh, okay, so the... Mixed
2: use is an... Oh. All right. Mixed use is an interesting property type. Um, it's something that seems to be becoming more popular, at least in this... I don't know if you noticed there was a big movement towards the um, residing in downtown areas. Whether it was here in San Luis, I we even saw mixed-use uh, properties going up in Morro Bay. But yeah. I know that it was a big push, even in bigger cities, to try to bring, try to stop the sprawl and bring people back into the. The cores of cities. Yeah. When I was in school, uh, as a reminder, I was a city
3: and regional planning major. So this was right up the alley, things that we were, you know, this, this mixed-use um, type of developing of neighborhoods and communities is um, high on the priority list for new projects and subdivisions, things like this. Uh, I think for obvious reasons, too. If you have to drive less... <laughs> You pollute less, you consume less, all that kind of thing. But also, um, it just eases traffic congestion and stuff in a city. It keeps people from having to drive to the outskirts at night and drive back to the innards in the in the morning. It also, um, we were talking a little bit with uh, Chris Richardson about this. It may have been the show... Were you here? Yeah, I was here. You were it was here.
2: Two or three weeks ago. Yeah,
3: about the fact that it 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 vibrates the, or makes more vibrant the quality of the downtown area when people don't leave as soon as five o'clock hits and there's less crime. There's just
2: yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So a lot of cities were experiencing this problem where at five o'clock the city would just clear town. out and it becomes this haven for vagrants yeah, and, exactly.
3: Yeah. So at any rate. Um, you know, and then the other thing: how how neat is it to be able to live right above or next door to some really light use commercial or something where you could go maybe get your a dry cleaner or get a, a cup of coffee? These kinds of things. It 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 feels city esque. I think if you're not used to it, but um, it's something that we were being taught. Um, it was to be implemented as often as possible and i'll tell you from a lending standpoint was really interesting for me to get into the mortgage business in the early 2000s here to find out that um, those loan programs were really becoming readily available uh the alt a loan programs were perfectly comfortable with mixed use type of uh properties so in other words you could have a barber shop or coffee shop or a gift shop downstairs and a a residence above it is typically the setup, something to that effect. And um, that was really, really easy to finance. Those things were everywhere. And as soon as people realize, hey, the city wants us to do this, it sounds nice, it makes a lot of sense, people seem to eat it up let's get going on it. And then the funding shows up. And so now it just, it gets a lot of momentum and steam. Um, What happened is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have never really been comfortable with mixed use stuff. Um, Particularly where, cause they only do one to four unit residential. So something commercial, they don't understand. They don't understand how commercial stuff works. They really don't want to, when you mix the two, they get less comfortable. Um, And so, when the mortgage meltdown occurred in 2007, those Alt A loans, all of the alternative A paper loans, um, have just like really vanished nearly overnight. And with those gone, there was a handful of projects around town where, um, there really isn't a, a, a great lending opportunity for that kind of property. Um, it definitely wasn't common and and maybe i should say isn't common those things are difficult now there are ways to finance them today it's not going to be with the fannie mae or freddie Mac loan um we have banks that we work with that allow that type of use and financing um, and as a rule they're it's more proprietary they're there are guidelines, underwriting guidelines that are written in-house, and there are people on staff that understand the the nature of these types of properties and are comfortable with them, and um, they're still offering competitive terms. Uh, the, the, the properties themselves are, um, maybe I'd just like to phrase it, that the buyer packs a little bit more clout. You know, in the Fannie Mae world, every single piece of the transaction has to be exactly fitting guidelines with very little variance. In these their worlds where you can do proprietary sort of in-house loans, um, those ones have to be able to see the strength of a borrower to realize that the pile of cash that those people have is um, offsetting to a property that maybe they don't understand very well. And they,
2: they get comfy cozy with it. So, um, Well, that's, that's an issue I wanted to, um, talk about really quickly is you have a property that's got a commercial aspect to it and then a residential aspect and when typically when underwriting each of those properties separately, The residential property is very focused on the borrower and what their income source is and their debt-to-income ratio and their credit, whereas commercial— Very little
3: consideration given to the the, property itself. uh, Yeah,
2: as long as the property value is justified and there are no obvious health and safety issues, that's really all that— um, they're concerned with when it comes to the collateral side of residential financing. With commercial financing, the whole qualification process is much more about the property itself and how the property cash flows, and less emphasis on the borrower. Um, that So that's really the biggest difference when you're looking at commercial versus residential qualification for financing. With a mixed-use property, you have both elements present, and what we tend to find is they stick more, I think, towards that residential qualification process. Um, yeah. Whereas I, they look at the the commercial part of the unit more like they would as a rental property, and not looking for that debt coverage ratio. Yeah. Like it, they would do with commercial.
3: Yeah, and generally speaking, the the kinds of companies that are comfortable in doing that kind of stuff are the local banks, community banks, credit unions. Um, and, of course, there's a handful of wholesale lenders that we work with, too, that are also um, very comfortable and affluent with that type of uh, financing. But it it can be a tricky thing when you're trying to navigate it. I mean, for example, one project in town was the Broad Street Village. They built um, – there's coffee. So it's right next to kind of the car lot and sandwiched in between a, a mini storage and a car lot. And they've built a ground level bunch of retail, light commercial. It's really a neat project. Mm-hmm. Um, with above it, some um, apartment style living, maybe kind of condos. And those are uh, very difficult, typically, to finance. And uh, but but obviously, they're all sold, and it's possible to finance them. It just takes a little bit more work.
2: The hardest thing I think with financing in this area, a mixed use type property is lack of available comps. That's right. When you're in a, a, a bigger city, those properties are more readily available and they transact more often. Here it's a newer, a newer property type for our county. Um, so only recently are you really starting to see that type of property. And just because there's not as many by number, you don't see as many transacts. So it's harder to find, a, a comp sold within the criteria that they want, you know, as, as the whole industry has tightened down appraisal standards have definitely tightened as well. And we want to see within one mile, a sold comp, at least one sold comp, exactly like that property within one mile, within 90 days, right. that's hard to find. And so
3: with that lack of confidence in the comparable sales that you're describing comes extra down payment. Be prepared to have a little extra cash to put into the kitty if you're going after this kind of property, because the lender needs a little more buffer, they not they're not seeing it day in and day out, not overly comfortable or confident um, that it's worth exactly what you're buying it for. So the more down you have, the more buffer they have, and the more likely is the transaction will be a success. So yeah. Matt, thanks Great for question. the question call. Yeah, it's definitely um, a
2: more challenging property finance, but certainly is is doable.
3: So Dan, I got a, um, let's see here. I got a, um, email this last week. I couldn't do it last week on the show, obviously, because I wasn't here, but I got some, uh, a pretty neat email from a guy and, and I wanted to find out, um, he, he asked a couple questions here and, and I thought I'd maybe just share them with you and, and get your opinion here. Um, he said, if you don't mind looking, looking for an opinion on a few issues, uh, my daughter is currently saving for a purchase and over the last month has been struck with anxiety over the market moving out of her range. I'm giving her advice based on personal assumptions that may or may not be correct. So he says, in terms of rising interest, people, he said, I believe people spend what they can spend on their first house. We had thirteen percent when I when I bought ours in the eighties. Some rates, so raise ra- rise in rates means that the that you can't pay market for a particular home. Um, so eventually prices fall back as inventory rises and things kind of equalize. So kind of again in context, he's trying to help a daughter that's anxious about this environment of homes flying off the shelf, being high priced and. Um, going up in value and now also rising interest rates. What advice do you give that person? Um, I mean, is dad right that we should expect that pricing and interest rates kind of equalize over time?
2: I definitely subscribe to that theory. I I think that um, you're touching on a subject that I wanted to talk about today, and that's the, the news media's portrayal of home price appreciation right now. And if you're only to read what, what stories are in the newspapers or on, on the television news, you would think that prices are just 10%, 12%. In some places, California, like 20% price appreciation year over year. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to see those kind of numbers until about May of next year. Because they're always comparing on a seasonal basis. They want to compare one month... Up, to the same month last year because real estate such a cyclical industry um, we saw a big rate spike here in in May shortly after the 1st of May and that's when we got feedback from the local real estate community that that the pace of buying slowed people all of a sudden were calming down and reevaluating their financial situation the the numbers on the home that they were looking at buying and just just the whole process seemed to calm down a little bit although we're still in more of a seller's market i would say there's still more people out wanting to buy than than there's available inventory but it's calmed down significantly you know so it's... i think as that environment perpetuates you're going to see a little more calmness a little more rationality coming into the sale and that's going to ease the the appreciation and i think you know the government's watching our industry so closely too they're going to make sure rates rise at a modest level they're not going to want to see them spike this week the case shiller home price index came out
3: and um on forbes here's how they wrote the headline home price growth beginning to slow down and i thought that was kind of interesting because within the actual uh meat of the article here is a fact that um they home prices did rise. They rose even on the seasonally adjusted. They rose. but so. And the article went on to talk about the fact that we're coming off of the heels of home buying season right now, where there is a lot of people getting out, making their change, trying to transact real estate real quick in the summer after taxes, you know, school's over, get ready before school starts again, be nice and well settled. So I think that's just behind us. And so a little bit of criticism in there um, from that angle that it it probably should have been hotter given that it was home buying season. But all of this overshadowing the fact that there was still a modest gain. Um, home prices were up 1% in, in the month of May and 0.9% in the month of June according to this 20 city index. Yet what they really point out is that that's slowing. Um, and that slowing of a tenth of a percent is what captures the headline so again i mean sensationalizing the headlines is something that we talk a lot about here on the show uh it to me is um nice just to see property worth even if it's only one percent more than it was last year uh anything positive is probably pretty welcome news if you were staked in the real estate market during the free fall and um you know, as an aside before I move on from that case shiller piece here, um, two pretty bright spots in the housing index um, Las Vegas, or as we like to call it, Las Vegas, Nevada, um, 24.9% appreciation, um, and then San Francisco. Isn't that strike you as a little bizarre? that San Francisco nearly kept the same pace as Las Vegas. Their housing stock seems so different to me, 24.5%. So barely four-tenths worse than Vegas. Those leading the two, um, pretty impressive. Uh, So at any rate, point is, though, is that real estate has been going up at what most everybody that's paying attention would call an unreasonable rate. It's unsustainable. It cannot go up 12% a year every year and remain healthy. It's just not going to happen. So we should expect to see some headlines as it slows down to the norm of 3 to 5% kind of keeping up with inflationary pressure. Um, that's not bad news. In fact, that's probably good news that we should all be happy to hear, and, and hopefully the media will do a better job of spinning that when it comes.
2: Yeah. So back to your original question about that that email you received. Yeah.
3: The, how do you advise the daughter?
2: I think you know patience is important always in a real estate transaction because it's a huge transaction, arguably the huge, you know, the largest financial transaction most people are going to go through in their lives. So make sure you're making a decision that you're going to feel good about not just the day after but months and years after. Yeah. You don't want to have that buyers remorse. So you want well, to make a good well-thought and decision. And how
3: time consuming is your home. I mean once you <laughs> yeah. have your home, it's on. There's always something to do. You'll be bending over to pick up the piece of broken something lid that's laying like in the dirt next to the driveway where in a rental you may have walked past it. It consumes your every thread and you don't want to have that kind of energy on something that once you're in it you're like i'm not sure if this is the
2: house (laughs) um so so definitely make sure you're 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 thinking about all the the different aspects you need to think about when you're when looking at real estate for purchase but at the same time i would say i think rates only go higher from here and home price appreciation while it will moderate will continue to just go up a little bit year over year. So um, if it's something that you want to do, I think, you know, the sooner you can do it, the better deal you're going to get. And uh, the sooner you'll get used to that change in lifestyle.
3: So this listener has two more questions, and I'll I'll go quick through it. The second one, I don't know how to answer, but I think it's a a genius train of thought. Um, Just wondering who's out there thinking about these things, too. Um, this guy says he's fascinated with national demographics. Baby boomers since the fifty, since the fifties have pushed housing inventory. Levels have grown with the boomers, and now the echo boomers. Sadly, the boomers within a just a few years will begin a decline. Right as we see this aging demographic move forward, these that caused such a draw on demand for extra housing. Those numbers then begin declining. Will that oversupply of inventory then go on to impact value of real estate in some measurable way? Interesting thought. I don't necessarily think that I have an opinion about this. You know, the only thing I can say is uh, it is always. I mean, real estate is a supply and demand based thing. So if suddenly you were in a place, and I, I think this is going to be to a very specific area, if there's a, a part of the county or a part of the state or a part of the nation that has a very high um, density of a, the elderly demographic, then maybe some of those places might see some kind of a spike. But I want to say this real quick about that. Those houses, in my experience, are well cared for and meticulously maintained. They're built with Old bones, the way things used to be built, and they've been cared for through a lifetime. They're also in the mature neighborhoods of a town, like the in our area. I would expect a lot of those to be over, kind of by San Luis High. Um, the very almost exclusive and demanding high premium is where a lot of these houses are, uh, just by nature of you know they probably bought it for 39,000 and now it's worth 800,000 and so for that reason are we going to see a flood of homes available that tank property values or um are somehow begging in first time home buyers i don't think so those are the move up homes those are the high quality homes um, so, but anyways, just a fascinating thing to think about. Not something that I think most people are very comfortable even talking about, but kind of appreciated um, it anyway. And um, the last one I want to tackle after, because uh, so we're gonna have David cried it on. But this this last one I want to tackle after, and I'll tease you about it, Dan. He basically says my sister keeps doing new thirty year loans because rates have dropped. Um, uses the same rules we always talk about dividing the closing costs by the savings whether it makes any sense but actually really believes that she's just burning a ton of cash in a wasteful way and so I'll, I'll give you the rest of the scenario when we talk about that one later but that one's also kind of an interesting one so um we do need to get prepared here to do a commercial break take some time out to thank the sponsors when we get back we're going to be joined by david criden from Blakesley and Blakesley. Always exciting to have an, another industry professional on the show, so we do hope that you'll stick around. Stay with us after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage
0: Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
6: The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm.
0: Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez.
3: When you decide it's time for a new vehicle, you do your research. Then you comb the internet and the dealerships for the best offer. So when you're shopping for a home loan, why would you only get one quote? Central Coast Lending would like to remind you that no one has ever lost money from a second opinion. So before you sign, let Central Coast Lending give you a quote. We work with multiple banks to find the right loan for you and more often than not, our rates and fees are the lowest you'll find. Give us a call today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the
1: Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason.
3: Everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. As threatened, we have a guest on from Blakeslee and Blakeslee. We have David Criden. Morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us.
6: Thanks for having me here. It's
3: a pleasure. All right. Well,
6: I understand that you uh, have done radio before. I have done radio on the Central Coast, not for a little while now, about five years, but I did 17 years of talk radio, but I was in your seat. All right. I was hosting.
3: I generally like my guests to be nervous, and now suddenly I feel like the rookie here, so we'll see how it goes. Well, look,
6: I've been on the air for five years, so maybe I'm a little bit uh, rusty.
3: (laughs) I'm sure you'll be just fine at talking into the microphone. Hey, so we generally like to kick off these segments by doing a quick uh, about us kind of thing, so why don't you just give us uh, your little elevator speech about uh, where you're from, how you got into what you're doing, and what drives you.
6: That's interesting. Actually, it's kind of full cycle here, a full circle, because when I got out of college, I came to San Luis Obispo and I Where went, was college, college was Sonoma State. Okay. Okay. And I got a degree in, in broadcasting or, or communications and business. So I came down to San Luis Obispo to work here at KVEC. All I, right. I was a salesman for maybe a half a year. And then they quickly made me sales manager, which I did for about six years. one of my clients was Diane Blakesley and Earl Blakesley, and they thought I had some promise and I had been thinking I either have to figure out how to make more money here on the Central (laughs) Coast or or (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna have to go to a big market yeah and work on the sales side the management side uh, of broadcasting in LA San Francisco New York something like that so they offered me a job I wasn't really looking for it in financial planning and I thought I'll give it six months that was 30 years ago almost to the day Wow. that Uh-oh. I started doing financial planning. So I have been... So you like it? <laughs> no, I, yeah, I love it. It's, it's great. I love helping people. Uh, I've been able to use all my skill sets in many respects. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm vice president of the firm. I own part of the firm. I'm now Sam and Cara Blakeslee's partner. And I've got a lot of clients who I have helped through... One generation, two generations, three generations of different aspects of life in every respect. We talk about real estate, estate planning, risk management, investments. We do investing. It's really the whole gamut. Excellent. And then when I did the talk radio here, I started out interviewing people. You talked about Kay Shiller. I interviewed Robert Shiller, among other people. Uh, I interviewed uh, Paul Krugman, who won the Nobel Prize in economics. All kinds of people over the years. (laughs) I had a blast. I did nine years of talk radio here. Four to five on Tuesdays, and then a couple other stations for another eight years.
3: Yeah. Wow.
6: Awesome. That's me. That sounds pretty fun. It was a lot of fun.
3: Yeah. So, um, so you're, uh, a managing partner at Blakesley and Blakesley. And, um, I mean, we, we use Blakesley and Blakesley, um, and we work with Craig in uh-huh. the office. And Great guy. Yeah. We really enjoy the level of care and thoroughness. And, and that was one of the, I mean, honestly, we interviewed multiple people and, and kind of found that that was the right fit for us. Thank um, you. By the way, yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. No, it's it's a pleasure. Tricky thing. Uh, when you're young, see, Dan, we have, uh, we're on radio, so everybody can't tell that we're not, um, we haven't already accumulated hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And so most
6: of the investment guys that we talked to said, eh, well, you don't have enough money. <laughs> you know what the, the, when our firm started in 71, when Diane Blakesley decided she didn't wanna, she was, she was raising four kids, didn't wanna do, she wanted to do more than raise kids. She started helping teachers doing what they call tax-sheltered annuities. And, and basically it's kind of what Craig's doing with you. And that you take money out of your paycheck, one deposit at a time, and you build assets to help supplement and enhance retirement. And we've never really changed with respect to, we have clients that have the multi-million dollar portfolios and we have clients whose kids come in and say, I want to invest $250 in my bar mitzvah or something. <laughs> right. We have everything in between, well, we've never changed. And the smart thing is, and
3: after 30 years of being in business, I bet you could talk our ear off about the people that started with nothing and 30 years later, more than meet the minimum requirements for other firms, but are happy to stay put with the company oh, that helped well, raise we, them.
6: We built it up, we yeah. built it up. So it's it's been, um, first you can't believe when 30 years is up and you're looking <laughs> and you're thinking, have i really done this 30 years am i really that much older yep. but then the fun thing is in, in my job at much as in your careers with helping people with housing and so on it takes years and years and years to really see all the successes Yep. and you know i'm at that point where i'm seeing the successes of mom and dad and i've taken them from raising the kids to helping the kids through college to retirement and then you know they leave this earth and then i'm helping the kids and then i'm helping the kids of the kids and I'm seeing more and more of that. And it's actually really cool. It's very rewarding. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. See, now that's one of
3: the thing that only years of experience can bring you.
6: Yeah, I, I hate to admit my age, but I have done this a long time. <laughs> it's really been, you know, it's really, it's a pleasure to help people and they need it. And we're not gonna, I don't think we'll ever change and, and go that route of if you don't have a million dollars, you know, don't bother to walk in the door. I don't, right. I don't think that fits the community. I don't think that fits most of America. And I don't think that's gonna help our country end up where we need to be as the years go by. Yeah,
3: that's right. So, um, gosh, we started the show uh, more than five years ago. It's probably going on six years now where um, people didn't really understand what was going on in the mortgage business. People didn't really understand how Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac whether they were government owned or not, what the whole story was and kind of how everything came to be. Um, So we kind of came in to to begin an explanation about that. And of course, in tandem came a pretty big collapse, you know, maybe collapse is the wrong word, significant impairment of like our financial, um, everybody, household, country, everything seemed to really be limbed hard for a while. And the The way it feels now, um, real estate is recovered uh, pretty well. You know, not all the way back to where it was at the high point, but perhaps it was overinflated then. Today's real estate values feel a little bit more real. We know that everybody that's got a loan has got one that they qualified for yeah. and can afford. Yeah, not the old and fog the mirror. You're yeah. a loan kind of thing. And so, and then at the same time, a lot of investments. If you had the gumption or an advisor to help hold you to the table as you stayed in the market through this a lot of people are close to healed if not healed completely and on track of doing good uh the the uh the dow and nasdaq and stuff every time i turn it on it feels like it's pushing into some new forever high um is it all a bowl of cherries right now
6: i think you know, one you, one comment you made is is um, it's more realistic. I, and I was listening earlier out in the lobby about your comments with respect to real estate and valuations and so on. And I think as opposed to the, the period of a few years ago, which, you know, what I can't believe is, first you made the comment about the 08, the which was September 15th, 08, when Lehman Brothers collapsed. So we're going on, what, five years already since that happened? And from what I heard, if you, if you go back and look at some of Bernanke's words during that period of time, somewhere along the line, I read or heard that we were within one week of complete collapse of the economic system, where the credit markets were gonna freeze up to the extent that nobody would lend money, untight <coughs> literally to themselves. It was so tight, and if they hadn't passed that TARP program, which some people didn't wanna pass, and infuse $700 billion into the system, that we would have been in a depression that was far worse. Right. So, you know, your statement is almost too soft, in my opinion. I saw
3: a fascinating um, interview where Matt Lauer interviewed President Bush after Obama took over presidency, and Matt, whether he wrote the questions or was handed the questions, there were some great questions, and one of them was just that, as such a free market, you know, it's always been this whole deal of let the let the markets dictate and this kind of thing. And and you rolled out one of the biggest um, packages of of you know bailout that's ever happened before. Why on earth could you do this? Aren't you a hypocrite? And he said, I sat in a room with some of the smartest people in the world, and it was agreed that if we didn't do this immediately, yeah the the consequences and there would be a lot of negative consequences there would be a lot of debt there would be a lot of time to wean and all these problems that we'd have to go through to heal from doing something like this the alternative was total utter devastation and ruin of maybe the world economy over it and um and Mm -hmm. i I've I just seen the way that he said it I could it was one of for me one of the first times I felt like I really connected to him and could see that he was it was the real deal and um, if anything I'd say probably kudos to the government and everyone for not causing general hysteria and just um, panic over the whole thing because it it does based on now things I read it sounds like it was so close to being, um, to changing mankind,
6: and so far we've navigated it. No, I think, I, you know, I'm, I'm not an economist, and I'm certainly not an expert beyond a certain, I wouldn't call myself an expert in that area, but, but I did a lot of radio at that time. I interviewed a lot of, as you say, very, very bright people. And the commonality was that we were you know on the threshold and you'd hear stories we I, I don't know how long you guys have been doing mortgage lending since about then did I get that right um, 2001 two thousand two. Yeah. so you saw the good and then you saw it literally freeze up where you couldn't get a loan and today getting a loan is still much more difficult it's probably past fundamentals that are reasonable in some respects but then everything seems to go along with human emotion too much greed and too much you know fear And if you get if you can find a spot in the middle and stay there, that's where that's where you make your better decisions. But it's hard to be there. But
3: yeah, Um, interestingly enough, Lawrence Young, he's the chief economist for the National Association of Realtors. He wrote this week about housing. And I always kind of joke that he's like the um, the national optimist for the realtors because he always finds a way to put like a a slant on things. Um, He basically said, yeah, pending home sales are declining and. Um, We know that this is, now it's been a couple months, so the lag's caught up, and we know it's because interest rates have gone up. But there are two reasons why um, housing is going to continue to to build strength in spite of these rising rates. The two things that he cited was more jobs and creating better jobs. And better economy. Yeah, and then the second one um, was the, so more better jobs, and then the, oh, I'm like brain farting on the second one. This is a rare thing, right? Um, I
2: didn't see the interview. Otherwise, I'd jump in and save you. I,
3: I have it, no, <laughs> I have it
6: in my notes too, which my computer's gone to sleep, but I can pull it up right here. Well, what um, I'm guessing is he was kind of alluding to you get a virtuous cycle where you get in a bad situation and, and deflation. Bad, one bad thing leads to the next. Oh, time. this was
3: why I brought it up. Okay
6: normalizing underwriting standards. There you go. So yes.
3: he's citing that creating great jobs, but also coming back to normal with what it takes yeah. to be able to get a loan. Yeah. And I thought, huh, the jobs we've created lately, if you've been tracking along, haven't been those head of household amazing jobs. So we're not quite there yet. And the second part of it, this normalization of underwriting standards, um, this is a tough one because I still remember just how sloppy and loose loans got, and I hate the slippery slope example, but the best way I could describe it to you is the exception becomes the expectation. Mm -hmm. As soon as you say, you know what, we're okay with this issue that you have, it gets written into the guidelines, and now the, the floodgates are open for anybody that has this same issue. And before too long, those, exceptions become accumulated and this is how you ended up i mean nobody sat down and drafted one of these loans where you could do a hundred percent financing that was negatively amortizing you know with no income no assets no credit no residency status i mean nobody drew that up on day one it was a kind of a metamorphosis of just continually allowing just being ever so more tolerant of one thing after another and perhaps that was normalizing um i don't know what would be more normal now i'm i'm not when i look at what's happening within the underwriting guidelines today um i'm not positive that uh i know what what we could do to make it more normal um we drag people over the coals, over deposits in their bank accounts. That seems to be one of the hardest things about a loan. Um, the documentation standards are very strict. The, your tax returns, for example, show what your W-2 reads, but that's not good enough. We need the W-2 and the tax returns. And we don't stop there. We then send a transcript to the IRS to make sure that these are the actual ones that were filed. So we are we are really bogging ourselves down with being super thorough, but it feels kind of necessary to me. I, I'm not excited to get back to the day of, say how much you make and sign here because your credit is good enough.
6: Well, I don't think that the no-doc loan standard, and granted, I'm not a mortgage guy, but I don't think the no-doc loan standard is, is the standard of, of good banking. No. I mean, I think if you look at it, practically speaking, you'd say, you know, what makes... A good borrower. What What are the qualifications, right. and what do I need to do to establish that this is a good borrower? You know, you can take a look at someone. I know they have issues with owning more than four properties with loans on them. Right, and it doesn't much matter if you have four other ones that are, are you know paid off, and all eight of them are positive cash flows. Yeah, they all of a sudden make you a different kind of a borrower.
3: Yeah, it's those things. Those that don't I, make sense. To those, me. those those there are those few little things, and that's not the, the the average guy for us no the but isn't that, is that a fannie
6: mae freddie mac thing a lot of this stuff
3: oh yeah absolutely that's where it stems from and even where fannie mae and freddie mac are tolerant or have guidance on those issues most banks just draw a hard line and say we don't do that
6: yeah if you We're, don't fit the guidelines for them you're not getting yeah a loan. because if, matter.
3: if this guy has nine properties and the going gets tough he's a major tank and we don't want anything to do with him and so You know that's how the you throw the baby out with the bathwater. it's like yeah but look further man the guy owes a hundred thousand dollars on each of 10 million dollar properties he's not a risk of failing no i had a
6: i had a client in santa barbara and i didn't try to get him alone but i referred him to a a guy i know at a different firm at a different time and uh the client had a five million dollar house in montecito had a a probably five hundred thousand dollar income and, and had a, uh, a $500,000 loan. <laughs> they wanted to refinance on the house and they, it took her three tries right. to get this loan. And if I were the bank, I would have been, I'd give the loan and say, please default. I want to yeah, sell the house. Please, I'll take the $4.5 million <laughs> yeah. profit. Those are the <laughs> ones, I always
3: joke, those are the ones where
6: I would lend grandma's money. Oh that, yeah. That one's gonna be just fine um so yeah it is that's reasonable banking to me i don't think some of that's being done yeah you're right about
3: that there well because with the secondary market and the way that these loans need to be traded and sold um that when you use some discretion to say come on this guy's you know, he's he's at a 10th of every one of his capacities and he's flush with cash. Yeah. Let's make this loan. You may attempt to trade or sell that to the next company where they look at it and have zero, zero tolerance for that issue at all. And right. say, you have so blown this that now you're saddled with it. And in the event you were the one that handed out the three and a quarter 30 year fix, you now get to sit around for 30 years and collect payments on that. So it, it becomes kind of a lowest common denominator thing, and that,
6: that to me is sad. Um, but that's where you, all this stuff, these little nuances and examples to me are where banking hasn't yet normalized. And, but given what we went through, I can see why they go, com- that's so typical with regulation is that you go way too far one way, and yeah. that's the greed factor, and then you go so far the other way because you messed it up so badly, right. that's the fear. Yeah. And we're going to way over-regulate. And hey, that's, well, the good that's...
3: news is is that with the increased rate, volume is down. So just in the nature of um, being able to spend more time, to use some discretion and judgment, um, and be a little bit uh, probably more thorough and attention to detail, we'll probably
2: begin to see that evolution come. It's all part of the cycle. <clears throat> uh, we're going to have to get past the 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 point in the industry where we feel like we're still fixing problems because every time you fix a problem, either with the harp loan program or some loan modification, you're reminded of how stupid we were. So until we, we quit getting those daily reminders, th- that will, we're, we're still going to have this tightness. Once we, sure. once we quit getting those reminders, we'll quickly forget. Cause that's how, how the human brain works, especially in banking. The brain forgets things really fast well, and, I was and then we'll say, get back into loosening and things once up. you're
3: all the way healed in the real estate market then everybody can say yeah well it's back it wasn't that bad <laughs> <laughs>
6: no no you only have to go back to the depression to compare it to something it wasn't that bad at all <laughs> i do yeah. want to make a comment I, and i don't know when you guys go to a break but um we got five minutes okay M- my comment is you, you said something to the effect of you didn't see because i think your business is so much different than mine the impact of what was going on and and how people handled it and you know we, we're a 40 year old company with a lot of investors, and what was interesting was, there was a period of time for, I, I wanna say, somewhere between three and six months where all of this stuff was going on, particularly the, the last quarter, uh, roughly, of 2008 and part of 2009, where I would come home from work, and I'd been doing this, even then, 25 years, and I would say, I feel like I've been to war, and it isn't that I'm fighting with people, and it isn't that we're not getting along, it's that the fear was so palpable, and particularly in the beginning couple weeks or so, that if you go into our building, we had, and we have plenty of phone lines, you couldn't call people back, and you had stacks of people to call. There were so many calls coming in, and so many people you had to walk off literally, literally the proverbial ledge from yeah. making mistakes of selling their portfolios at or near market bottoms out of fear. yeah. And you know, they call that when markets bottom, getting stocks out of weak hands. And that, but that was so extreme that there is, and I was doing this in 1987 on October 19th, I saw that too. Yeah. But that was so extreme and went on for so long that people were literally worn out. And finally, the last ones that were going to sell, because they were so frightened sold, and every one of them today, I bet that ha- didn't know what to do with the money and sitting in the bank getting nothing, watch the entire comeback because they don't have the perspective, and you can't you can't let emotion guide anything you do. That's part of the fear and greed we saw with the whole real estate thing too.
3: Yeah, and you know, I so I didn't have a ton of money invested in the market at that time, but I, I remember at the time, you know, as we were talking about it and um, seeing. Friends and family go through these struggles I remember thinking um, what would I do Would I have the gumption to stay and ride it out I mean in my heart I know that you have to but at the same time you know if you were my advisor it would be so easy for me to pin you down that when the Dow was at 14,000 had a, had you and I over a cup of coffee or a beer and I said David is it possible that this thing could tank so bad that it would go down, you know, by half.
6: It's possible any day of the week. So
3: it's possible, any but day it's of the year. so unlikely. Yeah, It takes such a, a string of events, and then what it ultimately takes in the end is the people running on fear that just start into the haywire sell-off because the sky's falling. And once that really gets a hold, then it gets into a tailspin and— Wow, just overwhelming. And so the, you know, um, I I think today people, st- I wonder if there's people today that did stay now are going, maybe this is a good time to just bail out completely and get into bonds or something. Um, so that's what I want to talk with you about when we come back from sure. the break. I'm good dying question. to know what's going on with bonds and whether or not it's a good investment now, or if everybody that overbought bonds are going to get clobbered, because that's also potentially going to happen. So we got to get out here for the break. I also want to remind you guys that we have David Criden in here. We'd love to take your questions. Um, so give us a call. We're at 543-8830, 543-8830. We're going to take this quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk a bit more with David. Stick around for more mortgage Matters.
0: You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason, from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
3: All right, everybody, welcome back so glad that you're with us if you're just tuning in you're listening to mortgage matters and today we have david criden on from Blakesley and Blakesley. we spent the first half hour being nice playing nice got to know each other a little bit um now we gotta take the gloves off and get down to brass tacks i gotta i i teased a little bit i'm i'm pretty curious about um for us, one of the only ways that we can really track and, and maybe make some loose predictions in interday, let alone uh, from one day to the next, is really to track. We watch the, the yield on the 10-year bond. And uh, we, that's gone back to normal. For a little while, it was like opposite Um Things that should push that yield up or down, we're doing the opposite because this reverse psychology about whether or not that news would make the fed more likely to taper and so if so the good news which would you know normally have a negative impact on that bond yield would have a positive or you know vice versa it was just really bizarre but lately it's been a little bit more normal uh predictable uh volatile due to low volume but altogether you know bottom line is this week i would say the 10-year yield averaged about 2.75 was about where it sat throughout the week give or take a few ticks Um, and i want to know if you think that there's um what what the pressure is on the bond market right now given that the feds are ramping up to taper Um, So I guess a couple part question. Number one would be, in your crystal ball, do you think it's realistic that the feds are going to begin tapering this next month? Is the data, since they brought this up in May, has it been on track and consistent enough to warrant getting the fed to begin
6: slowing down their rate of buying? Well, I think the first answer is no one knows but them and what their data is, what, what their criteria might be it's clear to me that the economy is getting better, more, mm-hmm. more jobs, better real estate market, more building, et cetera, et cetera. So that's naturally going to move things along in the direction that they're wanting to, wanting to see the economy go. Um, it seems to me, just listening to people who spend all their time thinking about this, I do a lot of listening uh, when I do financial, uh, listen to financial stuff, I listen to Bloomberg a lot because they have a lot of extens- extensive interviews and the common denominator there seem not the common denominator there seems to be that most of the economists feel like it could happen next month and i would probably take their word more than i would anything else with, with respect to what's happened in the bond market as remember you know the 10-year bond has been down really this low artificially for a long time now because the F- the fed has basically pushed the rate down through the quantitative easing program. That's not really a natural state of being. Right. And I think in the real estate market, not to get off topic but for a second, that that the four percent mortgage is just something people will adjust to. And I remember, you know, <laughs> you guys are too young, but I remember people having thirty years ago mortgages that were, you know, in the teens, thinking right. it'll never go below ten. So, you know, and, and that economically almost doesn't make sense when you think about it. I'm paying ten percent isn't maybe renting was better then. But I think that if you look at it part of what's happened is you went from a 1.6 10-year bond, 1.6% to about 275, almost as high as 3 I think, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, well, we've well, touched up into the
6: 292 range. That's basically what markets do. They anticipate where things are headed and they're pushing it there. So there I think that there's every belief that unless you get some exogenous event that you're going to see, you know, re- this is where they are somewhere here for now. And yeah. I think that the easing's gonna happen, whether it happens now or, but remember as one one person said, they're only taking a little bit of the money out of the pot. It's still, there's a ton of money there. They're just not putting as much in at, at you know, so instead of doing 85 billion a month, they'll do 65 or 75 or whatever the number is still huge. Right. And it's gonna take a long time to go to zero. And then that money's still sitting out there. Right. So. You know, there's a lot of reaction, people don't know how to deal with it, but I think that the the first portion of dealing with it has occurred, going from one six to one two seven five.
3: So is it tough then to advise people today on whether or not bonds are a good investment?
6: Actually, in, in a sense it's kind of um not too tough in a way. Okay. Uh, in, in my feeling. And my feeling is look, you know, rates are still down artificially. The Fed's still pumping money in there, the economy's getting better. You know, they talked about Europe coming out of recession or Germany and France, you know, dragging the rest of them along. And and all the news seems to be, you know, when you look at economics, I was saying when we were at the break, uh, short term, you get emotional responses to things. Long term, market response is all about what's really going on economically. So long term, I think things are actually you know, so much better than five years ago, and Europe is kind of, you know, the, the end of the dog, the tail, and as it, it heals, then you've got the growth of the emerging market. So I would say that, that in terms of how do you handle people that want to go into bonds, well, first, I'm not a big bond guy, because I'd rather own something, than let loan the money out, and if I am, I do it through things like balance funds as opposed to just straight bond funds. But when you know that bond rates are almost guaranteed, and I, you can't guarantee anything in my business, but really likely to go higher in the coming, you know, years ahead, for a while anyway. It doesn't seem to be a good time to want to own something that basically, apart from credit risk, if you've got good credit risk, any, any duration is likely to lose value. So, yeah. you know, you want to buy bonds when rates are high. You want to sell bonds, in theory, when rates are low, because as rates drop, then the value of the bonds go up and you've locked in a higher yield. Well, people buying bonds today, probably five years from now, won't have competitive yields. So they're going to have a low income that isn't likely to rise as fast depending upon how they buy the bonds, And they're going to have valuations that are less because they're not competitive. So so the answer to that question is it's an odd period to invest, especially as you get older, because traditionally you'd go to more moderate stuff, which would include bonds, but we're at a point where you really got to be careful about how you do that.
3: So this line of thinking that you have, I mean, this this is the same way that I've rationalized it myself. Um, this hurts us (laughs) in the
2: mortgage world. Yeah.
3: The absence of people wanting to buy this stuff is actually driving, um, those yields up, uh, to make them more attractive. You know, this is just fundamentally what's happening and interest rates kind of cruise along with it.
6: Um, but Which, don't you guys think that that it's not more, a bad more, thing? Well, it, it's got to normalize. You know, it's been a wonderful opportunity. It's helped real estate bounce off the bottom sure. from valuation perspective. So, but, barring
3: a few blips, though, haven't interest rates been falling for thirty years?
6: That's totally what I was thinking. So, are
3: they going to go up for thirty years? I mean, are, or did we? So, you know, and I hear these analogies of. You know, because of all of the quantitative easing, the length, the duration, and just simply the amount of money put into it, it's literally like holding a beach ball underwater. There's tremendous upward pressure. And when it stops, the ball is going to burst higher than it would be capable of simply floating at its equilibrium. So we got to expect it's going to pass where it's going to settle. Probably, Um, yeah. And because we were... Potentially much lower at three and a quarter 30-year fix. One of our listeners um, I did a loan for actually got a 3% 30-year fix. There was a single one that I ever did, but there's one of them out there. Um, It's unbelievable to me, but that obviously is a losing proposition for whoever has that loan for the next 30 years. I mean, these guys aren't going to refi that loan um inflation's One gonna <laughs> clobber them yeah. that you know so bottom line is um if rates do belong at six or seven or eight percent and that's where they live um if that's i mean if we just need to put a range on it for sake of discussion you know maybe i'd cast my vote in that range somewhere um to me translates into um the correction being a little bit painful um I don't,
6: but I don't think they're going to get there very fast. I no, I think no. I, I don't know that I subscribe to the analogy that you take that it's the beach ball because I know what a beach ball underwater is going to do. Yeah. it's going to end up you know if you were in an indoor pool hitting the ceiling. Right. I, I don't think that the tapering impact, well, it clearly ba- you know popped off because people are kind of afraid of it, and no one knows for sure. Right. But I think that the rate of easing off of this purchasing these of these bonds is they're still purchasing. Okay, and, and so that's pushing back, but I don't think it pops up as much as it just kind of works its way up. And I think it still means that for now, you've got really good rates that people just haven't quite adjusted to.
3: The Dow had a few loser days in a row uh-huh. when tapering was, like all of a sudden those sure. words started to come out. I mean, now sure. it's been coined the taper tantrum. And um, so if merely the, I mean, markets don't like uncertainty, right? I mean, the, these markets always like to know what the plan is and anticipate the plan. The uncertainty is something that's very difficult to navigate. Um, but if the simple just thought of bailing out of some of these, um, QE plans here, wrapping it to an end causes loss in market, what will the actual removal of that money do? Uh, If anything, maybe maybe we're just over fear of what's possible, and we're you know just need to walk it out and take our medicine, and it's actually not that bad.
6: Well, there you know there are a couple of phases you just brought up. There's first reducing the buying to not buying anymore, and then secondly, then what did they do with all these bonds or you know that they purchased? Right. And one comment that Bernanke made, I know I just I don't know if I heard him say it or if I heard him quoted, was we could just hold them, let them mature. Sure. So, you know, there are a lot of ways they have to deal with this thing. Right. And, um, you know, people tend to have fear. And, and I tend to look at the whole thing as saying, you know, the fact that they're, they're ready to start doing this. They, first, I think you have to say they've done a remarkably brilliant job of walking through what was arguably the toughest thing since the Depression, and maybe in some respects equally difficult, and the, re- the, the speed... Or the rapidness of which everything was collapsing, was just unprecedented, and the fact that it, it, you could see it, like you know, in front of your eyes, as opposed to the '30s, which was very different, um, was a big deal. So I, 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 for one, have some confidence that that they're gonna they're gonna wind unwind this whole thing over a period of years, and that as people see that it isn't gonna be, you know, all of a sudden they're not buying bonds tomorrow, all of a sudden they're flooding the market with the bonds that they bought. I don't think that happens. No. I could be wrong. So I think that the market adjusts, and I think the fear kind of settles it down. And I think that the good part about all that is it says the economy is much healthier.
2: Yeah. You know? Does it? I, I guess that's where I kind of get hung up because you made a great case that we're, we're going to pull some of this money out of the system, which is keeping the rates low. Bonds are not where you want to put your money right. going forward. Um, every time taper talk heats up, we see stocks retreat, because there's this feeling that it's the government that's really been carrying the economy, and once they're out, what is there? Manufacturing hasn't been great. Homes have been really the driver, and and that's coming off of this terrible bottom, so it really had to kind of bounce up. When that starts to ease, when the demand and supply get a little more in line and gets normal, Mm -hmm. um, and the appreciation gets normal again, is there going to be the same frenzy in housing? Where's the opportunity? Where is the growth in the economy coming from? The the latest, I don't even like to look at this quarter two GDP number because it was all over the place, which we're probably going to talk about a little bit more here, but it's still, the the latest reading of 2.5% isn't spectacular. It's better than it was on the the reading prior at 1.7 or whatever, but it's not great. Where's the opportunity in our economy? Where's the where's the real growth occurring? Well, I think that that you know, first you guys
6: look at economics a little differently, in that the things that you do for your um, I don't you call them customers or clients uh, are more kind of very short term focused. Where with me, I'm looking years and years out. Okay. Okay. So one of the things that I look at is if you take what's going on and say, all right. If the Fed believes the economy doesn't need life support anymore, well, it's it's really you know a good idea not to have it on life support. You can overdo it, so that's the first thing. And and they're not gonna they're not ending all this stuff. They may taper down the amount of bonds they purchase. Who knows how they're gonna unwind this portfolio? Uh, I'm guessing there won't be a rush to do it. Remember, interest rates on the short term are still zero to one quarter percent, incenting people to you know put their money to work elsewhere I mean I, I remember having a client a woman that came in we put her I put her in a, a balance fund and I got her 12 times the income plus the fund has gone up in value and don't forget that as you hire more people as you go from seven five to six five hit their target and it used to be that five percent was what they called a fully employed economy it's possible we'll get there and with, re- with respect to housing I think ultimately good lending is also you make loans based on what, as you said earlier, people can afford to pay. The big card out there that I think is so enormous, apart from the fact that you have healing uh, mature economies on the planet, is if you really listen to the financial people that do investing, I mean, the money managers that are managing tens of billions of dollars running these companies. And I I used to have the, the privilege of interviewing some of these people. The emerging markets are adding, they say, at least 100 million, if not more, new consumers to the world's economy annually. And I've heard of projections between now and 2025, right? Today it's 2013, almost 2014. That's only what, 10, 11, 12 years of adding somewhere between one and a half and three billion more consumers. Just think about how much product gets sold. Then add to that what's going on in the energy industry with, with the development of resources here in the US and the difference and what that's doing to our current account deficit when we're not shipping tens of billions of dollars a year, if not more, trillions over the years, overseas to other countries, and we keep that here. And, it makes it, and as those economies rise, and their cost of living rises, their wages rise. So the competition that they've been presenting starts to go away. I mean, they're even cycling around to where they're starting to develop Africa. So when I look at your question, on a broader sense, in a bigger term, in a larger format, what I see is, in the short term, we're in transition from being a patient in the hospital on life support to getting off that life support, to having the economy heal. to having Europe healing, to having you know China and India and South America and Asia and those countries growing, adding two, three billion more people to the world's roles. And that's gonna, I can't imagine how, from the US perspective, particularly if we can afford more so to manufacture here, and you're starting to see that anecdotally where People are setting up factories, not in big numbers, but it's changing. And so you have wages that are competitive and you have energy that's competitive. You know, it's a different world. It's really a different world. And that's in the bigger sense, what I think people should look at and what answers the question. In terms of the rest of your career,
2: yeah, great response. I was, that I, was great Jim perspective. Sleeping
3: at the wheel over here, there should have been like a star-spangled banner getting created <laughs> at the end of that. I was thinking like
6: a. I am not running for office. Oh,
3: that was, I was I was watching you talk. Uh, by the way, kudos on being such an eloquent speaker. Well, thank you. That was a, a great little breakaway there. Um, I, I, I think. I mean. First of all,
2: (laughs) (laughs) right on time. Better than Right on time. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. I didn't.
3: (laughs) Back in the, you know, the context of why we're sitting here today, Um, Dan and I do this show. um, Be lying if I said uh, anything other than it's at its core, it's intended to to produce some business for us. Um, We are not simply buying ads to produce business what we're attempting to do here is demonstrate some goodwill and gain credibility within the community by um you know giving a little sliver of our resume every week and we have guests on like yourself um clearly you're passionate about what you do you love what you do um and so i was listening to you to to your response a minute ago and all I could really think is um, that's pretty awesome I I, your clients are lucky to have you Um, you. the just the perspective um, having been through the cycles before and even if this one was as bad as the Great Depression or close to it or only measured by um, it's a good perspective for you to have that that one of the the wisdom of the years and um, if nothing else, the the calming nature of it and the fact that there are things to be optimistic about. I mean, one of the – when I, I – I tend to be a bit of a pessimist. And when I find myself on a real bender to the down, um, I remind myself that, you know, this is America. We don't fail.
6: The world's copying our system. Yeah. Everybody's doing what we're doing.
3: And. We we're nimble. We land on our feet after the the most devastating of tragedies and the triumph of the biggest victories. We man we manage to get right out of bed tomorrow and to keep on trucking. And um, I've said this a lot before, but um, you can never underestimate the need for self preservation. <laughs>
6: absolutely and that's the human spirit right yeah and, and
3: so all of these investors and these bond guys and no matter what it is that you do every day at the end of the day you gotta get home to feed those baby birds and um you know the reality of it is that need to to last is what keeps the fire burning for the whole country and and I don't think that we're at risk at all of going under. Um, to take the the micro to the macro here, um, when rates go up by one percentage point, um, I was telling our uh, one of our marketing guys yesterday. I said, "Hey, look, it's still historic lows. Oh, In yeah. the big context, it's amazing. It presents such an awesome opportunity." for both people that are coming out to buy for the first time, there's still plenty of refinanceability. Um, It's still at rates low enough to allow investors opportunity to obtain like cash flow. There are times where interest rates will be beyond that for um, reasons that may or may not make sense where it makes it a better option today to rent or to forego buying that investment property, um, these kinds of things. I, I I just know that there's an ebb and flow to it. And we still are in a phenomenal time here. Um, I'm of the mindset. I usually look at the Dow at, you know, when it's 15,000 something and I go, how high can this thing go? I told Dan after the first of the year that I read that the Dow was projected to close 2013 over 17,000. And and at that point, we kind of laughed at it. And as we get closer now, um, I'm not positive that's absurd. Uh, it's already touched 15.3 or 5 or something. Well, the I mean, high,
6: actually, I looked up the high because I'd forgotten it. 15.6.58.
3: I was below. I'm a known exaggerator. When I said 15.5, I thought people were going to laugh at me. No. Um, so, yeah, it, it it potentially it potentially can go there. And, um, you know, so it... it I just, I do, I think that um, it's easy to be a naysayer. Uh, um, It's harder for people like me just to be a believer. But at the end of the day, I know that we always always land on our feet and figure the thing out. Uh, My point about rates going up by 1% in the big context, not a big deal. If you were in the middle of transacting business and weren't yet locked or faced some issue or the people that were marginally qualified, like... You know, we after really getting through everything, we could qualify you to three hundred and ninety-five thousand and that's it. And then you're gonna go, Yeah, but I can't get something in San Luis. So they're all at like four fifteen or four thirty. And then rates went up by a point and their three ninety five literally turned into three sixty five like that. And for those people right in transacting business in flux right then, it was devastating. Um, the people that walk in a month later and this is the new norm, they go four and four and three eighths. That's amazing. No, it is. And yeah, you know, and in the back of my mind, I'm going, Man, you'd be so sad to know that when the rate was three and three eighths, that four and three eighths was like a forty thousand dollar closing cost credit, you know, just something ridiculous like that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so in doing so, you know, because that my example of that 1% thing having an impact on the people that are just caught right in the moment, I do think that as we go through the tapering and we unwind these things, there's going to be a little discomfort. Sure. There's going to be some days be when adjustment. it doesn't yeah. feel good. And yeah. we may see a few days in a row of sell off in the equities or whatever. Um, I, I expect those kind of things to happen. But in the long haul, um, I'm... You got to be okay with it. I mean, sooner or later, we got to wean ourselves from this stimulus. And you brought up a great point when we were on break that one of the biggest upsides to stopping it is it does it gives the feds back all their tricks. Um, When all of the tricks are deployed, you don't you run out of ways to combat those um, events or cycles that need these tricks. And when they're all on the table, 0% interest rate stimulus flying around everywhere. Um, you know, tax incentives and these kind of, we've tried it all now. Um, so perhaps it is time to see if it, if it can stand on its own.
6: I think it's a good thing. And I think you're right, there'll be an adjustment. But I think that, that what we want ultimately is we want a healthy economy. We want the Fed to be able to work with things and the government to have more revenues and so on. And a healthier economy provides all that. But if you, again, if you look forward, and, and certainly there'll be ups and downs because nothing's a straight line one way or the other will it Dow hit 17 sure will it hit 20,000 sure but if you're if you remember I'm an investor I'm investing in companies and as these as these um, the economies around the world grow these companies have more revenues more profits and so on another quick comment I don't know how much time I have left on the show we're running out okay but my when when I was married my brother-in-law built the rides for Disney so okay. if you've taken your kids to Disneyland the last probably 15 years every new ride and going back I know at least to Indiana Jones Pat built I remember talking to him about it, and I think like an investor, and I try to educate my clients to think like investors, not traders. And too much of the news is all about today and trading and so on. It took him three to five years to take a ride idea from that moment that they conceived the idea to building it and putting it in the parks. Three to five years. So if you don't think of owning Disney in the sense of if you were to own Disney— a three to five to 10 year investment with respect to, I'm actually investing in the company. Think more like Warren Buffett, who's an investor. Don't think like a trader, what's going on every quarter because that really isn't all that relevant. The market does stuff on the short term that's not relevant to what goes on to the inv- with the investments in the long haul and thinking like an investor is how you'll not make mistakes. Just think if you'd have sold your stocks in March of 09 or November of 08, or you would sold your real estate, when was the bottom 10 or something? You know, somewhere near. I mean, there. you would have you'd be looking at all of it today and saying, you know, "If I had just thought about these as investments, and sometimes they're underpriced and sometimes they're overpriced, but in the long run, if they're good investments and they're fundamental yeah. in nature, you're going to do okay." Sure. And if you don't have the time for that, then you shouldn't be in them. Right. That's the other thing.
3: Well, I, I love the point. Um, I that the thinking in terms of investor versus trader is a is a good one. It's well taken. Um, I look at like, for example, um, friends of mine that are investing and I want to do air quotes around investing. They're hoping to make money on trades Uh and they're not reviewing companies. They don't understand what their research and development's been up to. They don't understand how their budget's working. They don't understand what their next greatest idea is. Um, But they just know that if they buy it, uh, it's going to go up by 15%. No idea why. Yeah. And that kind of movement in the market and then out of the market, I think is just... That's some of the volatility you see. Yeah. There are a lot of reasons, but the, the, that's not investing to me. Right, that's just you know. trading uh, on nothing more than uh, blind speculation. You may as well be throwing a dart. Well, you may um, as well go gamble
6: some. Yeah. At how, the... <laughs> how many people do you know that are extremely wealthy, that are day traders? I mean, that's a comment. I've never heard of one. There's a day trader who was really, truly wealthy, 100 million, 200 million, billionaire. They didn't make their money by trading stocks day in and day out all the time. They invested in things. Yeah. And And they wanted to own
3: them. And the big payoffs to me from what I've seen came over the stay of 15 to 30 years of the same kind of back in continuing to make sound long term investments. It's Absolutely. never just nobody gets rich on uh the quick trade. No. Not that's, it's just not how you David, want to look at I, it. David, I'm really happy that you came in today. I really well, enjoyed you, the fellas. conversation Appreciate with you much. a lot. And um and you're of course um it's not a, you're not a non profit. Um no. You too <laughs> could stand one would hope. <laughs> you too could stand to benefit from some folks seeing the value and um and I, I do. I think we gave him a glimpse today into your level of thoughtfulness and care, into your expertise and professionalism. Um, and so, I just want to take a minute here to to promote you a little bit. Um, Blakesley and Blakesley is on. Uh, I know you guys got more offices. For me, it's on the corner of Santa yeah. Rosa mm-hmm. and Marsh. Um, I know there are other locations around, um, but check these guys out. The number to the office there five four three four three six six um i are you taking new oh i'm clients absolutely ta- I'm
6: absolutely welcoming <laughs> new okay, clients. okay so that's you know, for me
3: dan looks at me and laughs but so sometimes people are not i mean <laughs> no I, i'm busy i'm yeah. <laughs> full <laughs> <laughs> well yeah um so i i do hope that anybody out there that's listening um would if you have any need or interest at all would reach out to david and and um at least Sit down and have a talk. It I mean, doesn't cost anything. The sit consultations down for an are free. That's right. So sit down, find out if you um, if it's a good fit for you. Give it a whack. Uh, if you missed any of that contact information, just go to our website centralcoastlending.com. We have David's uh, bio written up there with contact information complete, so you can find it easily there. David, thanks again for Thank coming. Thank you. In appreciate today. the opportunity. Sincerely Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for All spending right. the time with me. All right. Hey, we got to do commercial break here. When we get back, Dan and I are going to delve back into some of these other numbers that push these wacky investments around or are so intended to. So do stick with us after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. To
0: ask a question or make a comment, call
3: 543-8830 or
0: 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors.
6: What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me Just by switching to State Farm A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical Like a pet baboon with one robotic arm Get to a better
2: state, State Farm
0: Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo,
3: call Agent Susan Rodriguez. We all have friends and family, people we know and trust. But when it comes to something as complicated and important as a mortgage, you need advice from a true financial expert. At Central Coast Lending, we commonly meet with people who received bad advice from someone they know and trust. Remember, no one has ever lost money from a second opinion. So before you sign, let Central Coast Lending take a look at your loan. Call us today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan
0: and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason.
3: All right, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks so much for being with us. We're just going to get into the closing segment here. Um, we do have time to take your phone calls. If you're interested in calling in and asking a question, you can. The number is 543-8830. We'd love to hear from you. We did just uh, excuse David for the weekend here, and so he's no longer in. If you have a question pointed at him, we'd be happy to route it that way, but he can't answer it now. Um, so 543-8830 is the number if you'd like to call in. Um Hey, second quarter GDP readings
2: came out again. Yeah, I alluded to that a little earlier. This was one of the most odd economic statistics that I can recall in the last several years. Bizarre, huh? Because they they come up with this GDP number. They come up with it right at the conclusion of the quarter. It's the first reading, then they have the second reading, then the third reading, then the final reading. I don't know. I think we're on at least the third, if not the final reading here. And it has been all over the place, like I've never seen before before with such an important number like GDP. I mean, that's our economic activity for our country. And it's been, the readings have been widely all over the place.
3: Well, so my notes here tell me that this was the um, second reading. So we had, first we had speculation. Then we had a reading that was a pretty dismal 1.7%. And now we have the second reading, which was expecting that that number would be increased mainly because it it, all, it it probably couldn't go down. So it went expected to be 2.2 and has now come out at a surprising 2.5 percent, much stronger than expected and perhaps so, feeding into this, um, uh, the bag of reasons here why the Fed may want to taper sooner than later. Well... The economy's not even as bad as we thought it was
2: it's so wild though remember when this started uh, the initial expectation when this number was first coming out was for about a 2.4 percent right and it came out at 1.6 and then there was this worry or i'm sorry it came out at 1.8 it was supposed to be 2.4 came out at 1.8 then there was this worry that on the see this is the third reading on the second reading we were worried that it was going to be as low as 1%, but it came out only slightly lower at 1.7. And now we're expecting, what, it to go the other way, 2.2. It came out at 2.5. Yeah. This is so weird. We've never seen a number like this. It's hard to measure. This number typically varies by a tenth of a percent here and there with each reading, and this one's been – the expectations and actual numbers have been in, like, a 1.5% range, which is very odd. Yeah. So – the, this, the conspiracy theorist in me believes that there's some um, po- political manipulation of this number this go around. Well,
3: and if you need to uh, make sense of whether the economy is strong enough to taper, um, what would be if if you were going to ask me to make the decision? Hey, Jason, make the call today. I'd say you know what. Let me let me look at, you know, the la- let's track GDP for the last four or six quarters. What was it last quarter? Uh, 1.7. No tapering. Um, it was 2.5. Uh, begin the tapering. Let's go slow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. Kind of funny. All right. So we do have uh, a phone call here at least. Are, are we going to take the call or answer the question? Let's take the call. All right. Take the call. Uh, Don calling from Bay. Good morning. Welcome to Mortgage Matters.
5: Hey, guys, I appreciate your show. I pretty much listen to it every Saturday and always enjoy it. Awesome. Thanks so much. I got a statement about the economy. I'll I'll make and then I'll let you guys respond. Okay. If you wish. Um, After the Industrial Revolution, um, the key to economic strength became manufacturing. Um, China, India, Canada, Mexico, and Brazil have installed infrastructure, low corporate taxes, and cheap labor. That's where the manufacturing is going, which, like I already said, is the key to economic strength. Um, I believe Bloomberg, CNBC, and the hourly talking heads is all gobbledygook. Um, I'm 100% sure about all this, except I wrote it all down, and I'm pretty sure I misspelled gobbledygook. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, the uh, U.S. economy's got to get back to manufacturing.
5: Think about it. That's the, G- the GDP. The world economy. Look at how China is climbing. Um, they're on their sef- second infrastructure. India is on their first. Brazil has taken a lot of business away. Canada has taken all the double axles. The the uh, uh, the industrial trucking. The the big. Um, all the big frames for the RVs, all that is in Canada now. A lot of uh, auto manufacturing, the U.S. has gone to Mexico. Um, All the little stuff is uh, gone to China. And India is really vying competitively.
3: Isn't Africa going to be one of the next big uh, production zones? You know, I don't know why it's not yet. I mean that's probably the cheapest labor
5: you're going to find. Maybe there's an infrastructure problem. Maybe a shipping problem. Maybe, a, maybe it's governments. I'm not real sure. It's interesting the way China, being staunch communists, um, managed to say, "Hey, let's get some dollars in here."
2: Well, your point's well taken. I think that I, 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 I agree with you, thinking that. We need to get back to building things to really help our economy grow. In, unless there's some major new innovation that's on the horizon, we need to get back to building things um, to really get create some jobs and get our economy back on track. Until then, we're it's a it's a problem, and I and that's where my question to David came from when he was even in here. Is you know where is the real growth coming from after the government? Takes all their money out of the system, or at least the new stuff they're contributing. Where is it coming from? So I, I, I really um, agree with your point, Don.
5: All the information they're throwing into it, you know, they're playing with numbers and making things look good, and and it, it's it, it's it's all silly to me.
3: Hey, well. I don't want to do this again, but let's uh, get real and get rid of minimum wage, start creating some jobs, start building some things competitively again. And, you know, in the U.S., sadly, we're getting our butts kicked now by plenty of other countries that are learning how to manufacture, and we're just happy to consume. So we're either going to have to be tired of being beat and learn how to compete or just concede that manufacturing is valueless.
5: Yeah and, and and there won't so be, be any consumering if the manufacturing continues to go away there won't be any money going around
3: Right so we either have to we we got to figure it out one way or another but hey Don thanks so much for your call today we certainly appreciate hearing from you You guys
2: take care You too Um I will say I was I was um I really appreciated David's point with respect to the this line of talking, that, you know, as, as these other countries develop more, their cost of living standards are going to grow, their wages are going to grow, and then we will then become more competitive in that labor market because our... Assuming that our cost of living and wages stay where they are... Um, so
3: capitalism... But that just takes
2: time. Capitalism at its core demands
3: an exploitable, cheap labor source.
2: And eventually we'll run out. We've got... One continent left to exploit where there's human beings. I think it, unless we can figure out how to make penguins a, a viable labor source, it's it could come back our way. Is that I mean, that's going to be next step but, in the road. But how long in the time cycle will that be? Yes, um, <laughs> eh, yet, guess is as yet good as to mine. be determined. We, we also had a uh, a question from a caller who wanted to ra- remain anonymous here. Um, so let's take that. What is the value of paying off your home if you have a four percent interest rate
3: um okay i want to answer this question and i'll give you my two cents about it then you can chime in number one for most people today your interest rate is a deductible expense so at the end of the year you're actually going to pick up a little bit of tax savings that tax savings is smoking beautiful if it can knock you into the next tax bracket down. So not only can it lower your um, taxable income, but it could also drop you into a tax bracket where you could really find some benefits. So that's going to be pro one for me for not paying off your mortgage. Um, number two is, you know, today you can't really find a guaranteed return on your investment of more than 4%. So um, Having that cash borrowed means that you have an expense carry every month that is technically eating at some of your wealth. I'll challenge your thinking here to believe that this is a short-term phenomenon. Uh, Before too long, I do believe that the uh, fixed-rate mortgages are going to go north of 4%, uh, um, north of probably six seven eight percent i believe they want to live somewhere around six and a half to seven and a half percent when that happens um, i expect that you'll be able to get uh, a return of four or five percent in a bank account again and so had you um hung on to your several hundred thousand dollars that you borrowed at four percent and now are able to earn interest on it at anything more than 4%, you're now making a positive interest spread every month, uh, better for having not paid off your mortgage. Um, Another reason why I think you may not pay off your mortgage or elect not to pay off your mortgage, um, maybe just for liability purposes. Personal injury attorney may look your property up. Um, Suppose you're involved in a little fender bender If your property appears leveraged and mortgaged, they don't, um, you don't have the same uh, outward portrayal of wealth as the person who has no mortgage and um, must just be uh, laden with cash in every respect. So I think that having a mortgage on your property could potentially reduce liability to some immeasurable amount. Um, And... I I suppose that would probably... Those are the issues that I always consider why, to me, it makes more sense. Oh, and my final one here before I let you have the pipe, Dan. Um, If I gave you a million dollars today, literally handing you a box with a million dollars in it, would you bury it in your basement um, into the dirt? Granted, it's going to be in a way that um, it only... It only is like degrading minimally, like shingles, paint, these kinds of things. But would you bury the million bucks or would you go on to invest the million bucks in some other way? Because, um, and and I'm begging you here, um, this is what equity is in your home. It's buried money uh, under your floorboards that is not doing you any favors because your house is both degrading and requiring maintenance regardless of your mortgage status it is going up or down in value regardless of your mortgage status Um, so having equity in a home um, usually a hundred percent equity i would argue is a bad thing there are seasons of life where it's a beautiful thing it's a goal that i think we should all strive for Um, but uh, i don't find value in paying off your four percent loan with cash you have laying around
2: today so you heard it here the completely unbiased mortgage professional says having financing (laughs) is the right way to to go rebut me sir so your your answer to this question what is the value of paying off your home loan there isn't value is what you're saying
3: i don't think i mean if you're at a season in your life where you're done with risk You Maybe you're able to retire, but you're going to get 60% of your salary, and getting rid of the mortgage keeps your budget net neutral in that event, and it's time to be done with the mortgage, Um, by all means, go for it. You're at a season in life where cash flow-wise, those things make the most sense. If you're not at that place of need for it, I just only believe that you take advantage of all of the things I mentioned, um, and are better for it. But yeah, I, I have, this will shock you to know, but I have strong opinions.
2: <laughs> That's why people call and ask. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you <hear> the opinions. <laughs> um, let's see here. We had a little bit more news that we should probably touch on here. Um, pending home sales still, uh, near the the highest pace since 2006 since late 2006 a little bit off of last month's reading and pending home sales are
3: tracked because this is a contract that's technically been negotiated but hasn't yet closed it's so a it's leading a, indicator it's a, it's a sign of things, to of things to come and seeing that number we we really want to see pending home sales um be strong because when pending home sales begin to slip we know that home sales are going to follow by also going downward.
2: Um, We also saw consumer spending this month um, down, or I'm sorry, up slightly just 0.1% from July. So pretty meager gain in consumer spending, which is the largest part of our GDP. About 70% of GDP is made up by consumer spending. So that was a bit disappointing. Um, and then we had two different consumer confidence numbers that came out. We have consumer confidence, which rose slightly in August, and then consumer sentiment, sentiment, which was down slightly in August.
3: I'm confident, but <laughs> lacking sentiment.
2: <laughs> I don't even know what the difference is. Um, whatever. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Gotta love numbers.
3: Yeah, my, <laughs> my notes number. here suggest that confidence among U.S. consumers unexpectedly jumped, um, and but sentiment
2: you, was predictably down. Right,
3: uh, <laughs> <Okay>. the optimism, <laughs> the optimism in the economy was um, just based that you know things are strong, looking good, um, feel confident in work, and likelihood of getting raised. Uh, I think everybody is feeling pretty confident about real estate lately. I mean, it's been doing pretty good. Um, The confidence numbers, I think, to follow here, gas is expected to go up again now as we have this um, seemingly unavoidable impending military action in Syria. And that is really expected to drive the markets wild a bit. Should we see uh, a a strike? Uh, That's kind of what I was begging out of you this morning. I didn't see anything on the news yet, but they weren't already showing um, any kind of attack underway. It sounds like it's going to happen at any minute.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I watched the press conference by um, John Kerry yesterday. Thought it was interesting. felt like, Things weren't maybe as eminent as I had thought. Although, I don't know. I don't know. Things happen fast. We know that when a decision made, a decision's made that it will happen quickly. Swiftly. Sounded like the final decision had yet to be made as of yesterday morning.
3: Yeah. Hey, I missed you last week on the show. And um, initial jobless claims was one that I'm sure you guys talked about was um, a pretty good number um this week initial jobless claims those people showing up for the very first unemployment benefit um had a decline down to 332. Uh, 332 pretty respectable reading um i generally um want to see this number improve think it's a good thing to get america back to work i look at 332 and i say hey that's pretty good um seasonally uh it's making some sense to me i feel like we're at a pretty good place with the people that are getting first time unemployment benefits and uh, according to everyone's numbers this too was better than expected so um believe bad weeks are becoming the outlier Mm -hmm. if you track now we're seeing a reduction by two to four to six thousand um seemingly most weeks And every once in a while, uh, like every fourth or fifth reading now, is when we are kind of blindsided by one for the worse that was hard to predict. Um, So, uh, yeah, the trend is that less people are being laid off from work. So, though we're not creating good jobs, we're also not shedding jobs at near the pace we were.
2: So, I think this coming Friday will be the big unemployment reports. Mm -hmm. Um, So, that'll be really exciting. That's ahead of the fed meeting that's coming up later in the month which is i mean this is the month that everyone's been talking about right september is the possible uh beginning of, of tapering we'll yeah. see i think the jobs report's going to play pretty uh pretty large into their decision so that i'm i'm excited to see this number i think this is going to be a big week probably a, a market moving week
3: when we were talking about tapering earlier on the show Um, Yes, by the way, this week, I I expect extreme volatility all over the place, um, reacting to most every speculation and headline. Um, In terms of the Fed tapering, they have described a circumstance by which it could be over in mid-2014. And I still feel like 1990 was 10 years ago. So it's hard for me to feel like 2014 is right around the corner, but in in fact, it really is. That is um, a short three quarters away here. Um, I really do feel like the announcement of how the feds intend to taper, if they do in fact begin this tapering, just shedding some light on how rapidly that unwinding is going to occur is really uh, that certainty is what the market is looking for. That idea, okay, um, we know at least now what's going to happen. Still not yet what to expect, but at least when to expect it, you know. So we'll we'll be hanging on that. And next week when we come back to recap, I expect that we're going to have some more uh, good news. Um, I hope that it is good news. We're, we're at least going to have the employment situation um, sorted out. And that is going to be, in my estimation, a pretty good indication of what the feds are actually going to do for the month of September. Guys, if you need any loan help at all, we'd love to throw our hat in the ring. You can call us. We're at 543-LOAN, which is five four three five six two six. Uh, we're doing VA loans for all the veterans out there we're doing conventional loans we have zero down payment purchase loans those are um, plenty popular and still uh, our our north county area is under an exemption um, we're doing refinance loans every day this week I help some folks do a debt consolidation loan so if you're feel like there's any benefit at all from having a conversation, reach out to us at 543-LOAN or check us out on the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. Love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters.